brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I'm Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with insight from a different perspective of the Business Fights Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Shabnam Hamid. Shabnam is perhaps one of the globe's most experienced thought leaders in developing, implementing and evaluating workplace responses to domestic, family and sexual violence. Located in Sydney, Shabnam's journey to this difficult subject took her from artist and filmmaker to union worker and community organiser. And then around 10 years ago, she began to get more and more focused in gender-related issues. Shabnam is currently supporting the International Finance Corporation, also known as the IFC, which is part of the World Bank, with the aim that effective development and delivery of resources for the private sector can tackle gender-based violence. Shabnam, welcome. Hello. My first question today, Shabnam. So why is gender-based violence an issue for business? Gender-based violence is an issue for business because it affects people. It has a terrible impact on individuals affected by violence uh, and therefore it has an impact on business. Basically, it affects employee well-being, which means that the business bottom line is affected. Now, when most people think about gender-based violence, they go immediately to the victim. It does affect victims uh, terribly, but it also affects employees that are perpetrators and it affects colleagues in general. So, for example, where I work in the Pacific, we hear a lot of stories of basically constant harassment of employees by perpetrators. So it may start off with, you know, a few phone calls, uh, asking about people's whereabouts. Uh, If this is a dating relationship, it might be welcome to start with. But as the relationship progresses and the violence increases, those phone calls get more and more frantic as the perpetrator tries to keep tabs on uh, the employee's whereabouts. The employee might end up receiving 50, 100 texts, SMSs, Facebook posts, emails. It makes it very hard for the employee to concentrate. If the perpetrator can't then get a hold of the employee, they'll often do things like call the receptionist, call the colleagues, call the supervisors. Uh, and this, uh, this escalates to the point where the worker, whether they're the victim or, or the perpetrator, is no longer productive and it draws um, everyone else in. The other key thing to note about gender-based violence, and in particular domestic violence, is that it's about power and control. And financial security is the key pathway to leaving violence. Most perpetrators are keenly aware of this, and so will often try and disrupt a person's employment as a way of controlling them. And so these phone calls that, that may start off as, you know, how's your day going, can turn into a a weapon to control people and also damage their employment. So the calls may go from, you know, where's the whereabouts of this particular employee to casting aspersions about the employee's either moral standing, uh, accusing the employee of, you know, committing things like uh, fraud or violence themselves. This behaviour can also expand into things such as trying to make the worker look bad at work. Many perpetrators will do things like try and make the employee late for work by hiding car keys, uh, damaging or hiding uh, work equipment. 
in the Pacific, we hear stories over and over again of people's um, employee tags being ID cards, being hidden, being damaged, being burnt, uh, work uniforms being cut up, or other resources being destroyed, whether that's a report or a phone or a computer or a car. As you can see, this has a you know compounding effect on employees' ability to attend work, be productive at work, stay safe at work. GBV is a huge issue for, for individuals, but also for the business. And what's really the focus of, of your work at the moment? As your introduction, I, I work for the IFC. It's the, it's the largest development organisation globally that works directly with the private sector. And what we're doing is trying to create effective responses to gender-based violence, uh, in, in the workplace. So we're talking about workplace responses. I work mainly in the Pacific. In the Pacific, two and three women are affected by uh, gender-based violence. And so it has a huge impact in the workplace. There's a high prevalence and, and there are high impacts. So the focus of our work is, is trying to create an effective response for that workplace in that sector and in that country. Uh, we're not about cookie-cutter approach. We spend a, a, a lot of time thinking about and studying the context that we work in uh, so that the response will be effective in, in that place. Uh, we do this by doing studies, things such as uh, surveys, uh, King Foreman interviews, focus group discussions. Also, uh, trying to find out as much as possible about what actually exists in, in that place? Is there service provision? The police effective? Is there counselling? Are there safe houses? We then uh, marry what we've, we've learnt from doing our study, meeting people, and uh, suggest and work with businesses to create something that will actually work for them. We do this in one of two ways. We can either work directly with, with a particular business and provide uh, advisory services, or we also work through peer learning platforms. A peer learning platform can be something much like Business Fights Poverty, where we share our experiences and also help our businesses to implement a response. In the Solomon Islands, we've set up a challenge to businesses, to the private sector, on workplace equality. So 15 of the largest companies in the Solomons uh, have joined the challenge and they make a public commitment to do one of three things. Uh, one is to increase women in leadership. The second is to create uh, respectful and supportive workplaces. And the third is about increasing opportunity for women in uh, jobs uh, traditionally held by men. So under the commitment to create respectful and supportive workplaces, we support businesses to address bullying and harassment in the workplace and also to support employees that are affected by domestic and sexual violence. Uh, we do that through a workshop series uh, by providing training to uh, employees of that business to act as first responders or the first point of contact for other employees that are affected by violence. Their role is not to be a counsellor, is not to be the police. Their, their role is to basically help that employee to be referred to support services in the community uh, and also to get reasonable adjustment uh, from the business 
whether that's taking time off to go to counselling or to move house or to address safety concerns that might, might arise in the workplace, things like getting people's phone numbers changed uh, because they're receiving harassing calls, etc. Uh, we also help those businesses with uh, monitoring and evaluation uh, and also information and support to raise awareness about this uh, issue in the workplace. The companies that have been uh, participating in the Waka Mary Challenge, nine of those companies have just recently completed a, uh, a workplace survey on the impacts of domestic and, uh, and sexual violence in the workplace. Actually, we had 1,248 respondents or 30% of employees at the nine participating companies. And we've learned uh, a lot uh, from doing that work. Basically, what the work shows is a high level of prevalence. Um, by that, I mean a, a lot of men and women are affected by uh, domestic and sexual violence. Uh, not only are they affected through the course of their life, but much of the violence is actually recent. We then ask about the kinds of things that affect employees' ability to participate in, in the workplace, whether it's the perpetrator trying to stop them coming to work, interfering with their work, interfering with their colleagues, interfering with the workplace. And we actually cost out what that actually costs to businesses. Part of the work that we do is about putting a, a business case forward for businesses to uh, address this issue. Uh, often businesses, particularly early on, would ask, you know, how much is this response going to cost? What we try and show and, and what the data clearly shows is that no response is already costing the business a great deal uh, in terms of loss of productivity, lateness, absenteeism, safety concerns, and that to uh, address the issue will actually lead to a saving. Shadnam, what do you see as the biggest opportunity for the private sector, for the businesses that you're working in on this particular topic? Right now, on this issue, it's a very exciting place to be. Um, I actually mentioned this to a friend and, and, and they said, why exciting? That's a very odd word to use uh, in relation to domestic and sexual violence. Look, I think it's actually quite exciting to be working on this issue right now because Businesses are starting to really recognise that it's a workplace issue, that it's something that they can do something about. Ten years ago, uh, or a bit longer, when I first started working on this issue, I would often get a, a lot of pushback. I'd, I'd talk to uh, employers and they would say, what's this issue got to do with us? Domestic violence doesn't happen in the workplace. Uh, or it mostly doesn't happen in the workplace, so why should we respond to this issue? That, that narrative has really shifted over the last 10 years and businesses are starting to recognise that, yeah, as I said previously, that they can do something about this. I think the change has come about because there is now more information and more data available that shows the business case for a response. And I also think right now and in this year, there are some particularly uh, exciting things happening. One is we're getting our information out there uh, more through peer learning platforms and also through partnerships such as this one with uh, Business Fights Poverty, where more and more people are being involved in the discussion. 
There are also uh, things that have happened uh, over the last 12 months, such as our sister organisation, uh, the World Bank, introducing obligations or screening, actually, screening and then responses uh, on all their projects in terms of gender-based violence. What are the risks and how, how can they be mitigated? Or, or to put it in another way, is anyone going to be hurt through this project uh, and how can we help? Uh, I think if the World Bank is taking this approach, other development organisations uh, will also follow suit. This year is also the year that the ILO Convention on Ending Violence and Harassment Against Women and Men in the World of Work is being debated. There are many stakeholders at that table and this discussion is really gaining traction. I think the increase in appetite is really exciting and I also think the effectiveness of our responses is also growing. Ten years ago when the world started working on this issue, there wasn't much evidence of what works and what doesn't. Over that period of time, many businesses have participated, have actively engaged on this issue, and now there's a, a, a growing body of evidence of, of what works. There are a lot of opportunities in this area at the moment. And the Business Fights Poverty Network, I mean, we're, we're a network of 22,000 people from majority from businesses, but also NGOs, social enterprise, academia and policymakers, all trying to sort of push for more and inclusive social impact. What advice would, would you have for those listening to this podcast and how can this network help the IFC reach its ambitions? I think the key piece of advice that I, I would give is that you don't need to do it alone particularly to business, because, you know, business aren't the police, business aren't a counselling service, business aren't a refuge. The most important thing in terms of helpfulness of response is not that business provide everything, but that business work with others so that the person that needs help can get help. So, for instance, again, in, in, in the Solomons, we've, we've set up forums where the business community uh, has met with the service providers and government bodies on this issue. Uh, we, we set it up so that each service provider, from you know the police to the hospital to um, the counselling service to uh, the refuge, you know, talked about what kind of services they provide. The Q and A session actually at the end of that was really quite important because we had HR managers asking questions such as, "Look, if my employee is affected." What do I need to do to get them help? What are the challenges? How do we overcome those challenges? And so there was some really practical brainstorming in terms of getting people the help they need. And that personal connection was made between the business community and uh, the GBV service providers. And, and that relationship has actually grown and blossomed and is working in, in both directions. So while businesses can now pick up the phone and get employees help, what the service providers are finding and how the relationship is, is flourishing is that businesses are inviting those service providers uh, to come and speak to their employees, so awareness is growing. And then businesses are also doing things like uh, having activities around the issue, fundraising around the issue. And so there's a, there's a, a good two-way relationship and discussion happening between the service providers and private sector. So I think that, that was probably an answer to the first part of the question in terms of what advice. 
So the advice is, you know, you don't need to do it alone. It's really important to work with others in this area uh, and to learn from others in this area in terms of the helpfulness of response and how can business fight poverty play a role. I think the, the convening power, uh, um, I was talking about our process at a, at a national level. I think business fights poverty has, uh, has that convening power at a global level. So I think it's going to be very exciting uh, to work with other stakeholders, whether it's the private sector, uh, government, NGOs, academics on this issue. Each of our podcasts, we try and ask a few slightly more personal questions to our interviewees, as much as anything, because we're a peer-to-peer support network. So a couple of more personal questions for you, Shabnam. Who or what inspires you? Simon Longstaff from the St. James Ethics Centre is is someone that I'm really inspired by. Simon set up the St. James Ethics Centre a number of decades ago to bring people together to uh, solve problems. I think the the beauty of the centre is that it creates a space where people from divergent backgrounds with divergent ideologies uh, can discuss issues uh, to solve them uh, rather than remain in their silos. Shabnam, you're based in Australia. What have we to learn about corporate social impact from your part of the world? I think the most important learning that I've had in, in working in Australia on this issue is that when business takes the issue to heart, when they can see that it's a business issue, the depth of response is actually um, much greater than if the response is mandated. In in Australia, when I originally started working on this issue, we took an approach of getting clauses into enterprise agreements, getting awards, getting changes to legislation, And while we got a breadth of coverage uh, through that approach, the number of people actually taking up those provisions, actually being helped, only started to grow when uh, business started to hold the issue uh, closer to themselves. There were a few things that happened uh, that changed the focus away from compliance. The compliance structures were still there. But we got some reporting requirements through the Workplace Gender Equality Agency that asked businesses who wanted to be employer of choice to report on what they were doing about this issue. When that reporting requirement came in, um, businesses got a little bit competitive and creative uh, about what they could do in response to the issue. And we really started to see a depth of responses. The other thing that happened around the same time was that a number of coalitions were formed. So, for instance, um, there was a coalition called Male Champions of Change. They were originally formed to talk about uh, gender diversity in the workplace. They realised after a period of time of working on that issue that without focusing on gender-based violence and addressing that issue, that we wouldn't actually uh, achieve the kind of gender diversity uh, we were looking for. And Shabnam, how do you stay motivated? The people I work with really keep me motivated. I work with a a fabulous team in Sydney, but also globally. And the people that I meet, the clients that we work with uh, in the countries that we work in are just the most amazing, resilient people that I've ever met. They really keep me motivated. And my final question today, Shadna, is what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out on their career? What I would suggest is to describe the problem that you're trying to solve, to define it, to really understand what it is, 
and then make a plan to solve it. I think when many people think about careers, they think about it in terms of hierarchy and climbing up the hierarchy. I'd suggest that people should look at it differently. A, a, a career is a vocation. It's, it's our ability to help other people. And I think if you plan your career around helping other people, you will have a, a good career. Shabnam Hamid, thank you very much. Thanks very much. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.